with Growing With My Fellow Growers. This is Jack Greenstock. I'm going to be your host. And I have a wonderful panel this evening, as always, and a special guest. I'm going to start off by introducing Dr. MJ. Hey, Jack. Yeah, happy to be back. I'm Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. Um, bringing you guys yeah, articles, tutorials, and guides on the science and practice of growing cannabis. And I look forward to our guest and our show today. Thank you for joining us. I want to remind anybody who's made it here already to make sure to click on over to the live chat because that way you won't have any of the messages filtered out so you can see everything and engage with the awesome community that comes with us on this YouTube live. Next up, Spartan Grown. Hello, everybody. I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word. Or you find me on Instagram, or I mean on Instagram, you can find me on YouTube, all over YouTube, uh, right here with the uh, Cheap Home Grow podcast or uh, Mission Growth Grow Show or Gmail Show. Find me the most. We're happy that you make it uh, such a regular occurrence over here. We really appreciate your input and your time because I know you're a busy guy uh, at home and at work. So uh, thank you again for coming. Next up, Matthew Gates. Hey, everyone. This is Matthew Gates, Integrated Pest Management Specialist. Um, you can find my most recent video on YouTube channel Xenthanol, which is the Integrated Pest Management FAQ for September 2020. You can check that out. I take uh, questions from various people every month. Uh, who make them on my social media, and then we uh, discuss them and the answers and uh, give them back to you. And uh, yeah, looking forward to talking with Medically Fit today. I am as well. I actually had one of my questions answered on one of your uh, fact videos. So thank you for putting out that content. I appreciate that. I know many of the members of the community do. That's typically um, my most engaged with content on Greenstock Talks. My episode where I had users write in questions was my most uh, engaged with podcast. So I think it's definitely worthwhile to make, even if people are re-asking the question sometimes, it can seem a little tedious, but I think the information is good to put out there to the community. So thank you so much, Matthew, for doing that. And uh, next up, we have Brandon Rust. Hey, what's going on, everybody? What's going on, listeners? I'm Brandon Rust. If you're not familiar with me already, uh, you can find me on Instagram at RustBrandon. Um, you can find a link to my company, Bokashi Earthworks. And uh, I'm glad to be here as always. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't think it was going to make it today, but I did. So We are glad to have you. I am uh, excited to get my little package. I just put in an order through Bokashi Earthworks for some Bokashi and Micro Plus and Amino N Plus. So I'm excited to try some of that stuff out with my soil. I've heard only good things from like Hota Herb and other people that have tried some of Brandon's products. So I'm excited to support a panel member and their company. So really uh, excited to see that package come in the mail. As always. Thanks for the support. Appreciate it. We just got that website launched, so uh, things should be a little easier to um, keep a hold, keep a track of, and send things out. And you crushed that on website. Uh, future future cannabis project. Uh, I think you did a really great job. They kind of uh, highlighted you and your grow, and you and Leighton Morrison or Morris had a, a great talk. And um, I think I used a discount code that I heard on there, FCP10, for 10% off. So shout out to uh, Future Cannabis Project. They make great content as well and love to support all the people within the community. Another great person in our community is uh, our breeder on the panel, Kyle. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm glad everybody's here. Medically fit, I'm glad you're here. We haven't seen you in a while. Uh, yeah, so I'm a cannabis breeder. I specialize in feminized seeds. Uh, if anybody's looking for some, I do have a website. Uh, it's, the website is the letter P followed by breeding.com. If you'll look at anything I'm kind of working on, you can look at any social media platform at Predicated Breeding. 
I have a bunch of new finos I just harvested that are pretty delicious. Uh, they're actually curing right now, so I'm, I should be sampling pretty shortly here. But uh, yeah, I'm glad everybody's here. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to see how tonight goes. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining us, Kyle. I was just uh, joining the chat myself on my phone, so I can type from my own account versus uh, on my computer. I'm coming from the Cheap Home Grow. So as a reminder, you can actually tag me at Jack Greenstock, or you can tag me at Cheap Home Grow, and I'll be able to see you in the comments. Uh, we have another breeder with us this evening, and that is the American one. How are you doing, buddy? Hello, Jack panel and everyone in chat. Uh, I'm doing good. I'm glad to be here, and um, I'm excited that Medfit's visiting. He is uh, one of the good people in the community and always seeking out knowledge and sharing it with me and everybody else, so it's going to be a great show. I can't wait. I am looking forward to it as well. Uh, Med was, once upon a time, on the earlier shows, a uh, sort of semi-regular panel member. Uh, many of those shows have been deleted, unfortunately, from the Cheap Home Grow, but I do remember those days and uh, look forward to having your content shared with us tonight. You share so much with me in the DMs and I've heard from many other people that you share lots of great research papers and, and science, both about cannabis, but just in uh, about life in general that can cross relate to this plant that we all know and love. So without further ado, I wanna give a warm welcome to our guest this evening, Medically Fit. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey everyone, you can uh, find me on YouTube or Instagram, uh, Medically Fit both. No underscore, just all one word. Um, I've been part of the YouTube community 2011 when I really joined the community and it was kind of searching out information. Um, I didn't like forums. I didn't like any uh, thing really like that. I just kind of went to YouTube because to me, YouTube was the up and coming thing on where to find information, the how-to <clears throat> type of video. And there was... Quite a few people actually on there putting out information. So that's kind of how I started. And at first, I didn't ever really make videos. I was always kind of in chat, just chatting with everybody. And then I was like, you know what? I, I'm going to make video logs, logging my grows for myself so I can kind of go back and see what's going on with them. And after that, it just kind of like I was putting information and some education information to my videos. And people were kind of starting to listen up a little bit, but it, man, it took forever for my YouTube channel to even get people to follow it. And once it did, it kind of took off. And now I'm almost at 17,000 followers now on uh, YouTube. Nice. It's awesome to see the uh, slow and consistent following. Sometimes it, it takes a little while to take off, but once people sort of realize that um, you're putting out good content and good information, they can share it with their friends and their friends share it with each other and uh, the good information I think always rises up to the top so I appreciate the stuff that you've sent to me I always uh, if I'm have some free time and I don't get to read it or watch it right when you send it to me I'll go back and look at it later and uh, I've learned a lot from you and and the information that you shared through there so um, I'm just really happy that you're able to join us this evening and I want to give a big shout out to all the people in the chat I saw Smiley's Garden, Cade Armstrong and uh, Smot Poker are with us this evening as well as many more and if anybody like I said has questions they can feel free to tag me I wanted to say uh, 2011 that's been quite a long time the first YouTube video I watched was in like the mid or you said 2011 right yeah yeah but mid 2000s I think for me it was like 2006 2007 or something that I saw my first YouTube video and it was like a Kimbo slice uh street fight video <laughs> and other than that it was mostly like cat videos and 
uh, random <laughs> ridiculous shit. So I wasn't seeing too much cannabis content and uh, information back in those days. So I think you were definitely one of the earlier people putting content out. So definitely appreciate that. And uh, I want to throw it out to the panel and uh, see if they have any questions before we go into talking to the live chat. I guess I can throw up. Oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Spoiler. It's, it's uh, I don't know that it's cannabis related, but I'm more interested in, uh, didn't you move out to do uh, homesteading? Aren't you uh, homesteading now, Ned? Uh, no, we've got property that we're going to do that on. Um, when we were, what was it, March of last year, uh, the girlfriend kind of was like, no, I'm kind of getting tired of being in the camper with these dogs. <laughs> like, it wasn't a lot of room, you know, we were trying to do it simple. And so she's like, hey, let's just get a house. And I was like, okay, and we'll get a house and we can start building later. But that also opened the room for me to get to two of these grow rooms up and going, one for flower, one for veg now that I can actually start working and doing a lot more work. So that's all. Yeah. Yeah, we go out to our property quite a bit, check it out, you know, see what we want to do. Um, we've already been pricing like what it's going to take for the septic and the wells out there and just so we can get going. We already know we're going to do wind turbine more than sun because there's just so much wind out there and it's all the time. And it's just not like, hey, we only get 10 hours of sun today. Hey, we got to figure out how to not use some things today because we're not getting enough energy. So, Sour diesel energy in the chat asks, um, when do they begin to trellis or what, what, how do you determine the ideal time to start trellising? If you do, Mad, um, what do you think is the right time to start trellising? Well, that really just depends on my strain specifics. Like I'm running some pounded by Jinx Proof right now that I've let them just get monstrous big and didn't do a lot of training until they got really big and started showing sex. Now I've got a few of the lower branches that are having a hard time staying up, but the top branches are with the, the weight of the flower are still holding themselves up. So I'm not really considering throwing any trellis on like these, but some of my other ones that I ran, um, what was it? It was a SFVOG we did outdoors and this thing was just so heavy. We had to have something to help hold it up. So it just really depends on sprains, the strain specific. Gorilla Glue seems to be floppy like that. Um, Spartan Grown, I know you like to use trellis, and, and one of the things you mentioned is oftentimes people only use one layer, and that could be their downfall. Um, if you're going to use multiple layers, when do you like to start, and uh, how do you go about determining how many layers and when to apply them? So it's usually um, the, the amount, or we'll say the final height of your plant. So whatever you're shooting, whatever you're growing for, whatever that final height of your plant is, that usually determines how many nets you're going to apply screw along screw around with for me the shorter the plant obviously the less amount of layers that you need i uh the shorter plants i tend to use two nets and then the uh, taller plants this is that work and the taller plants we tend to use three at home setting i use just one so it's all you know a person like at, at home setting i have a lot less height a lot less height so that's why i'm using just one so it's all determines really your space that you're how much because you want to maximize the space the canopies of the space that you're trying to fill and so it's hard to answer that question to be applicable because it could be a different answer for everyone. i can say just from looking at his grow room recently he has like i want to say like eight or maybe ten bucket company uh plants just set up 
uh, basically like in two rows and he's still in veg. It looks like he's just sexed his plants. And I think he's either going to be flipping soon or going to veg him out a little bit longer. Um, but do you ever go into the trellis during veg or do you always wait till flower and do you let it like hang up above the plants and then flip and let it grow into the trellis? Or do you start to bend actively into the trellis? Um, while you're I prefer, flipping? I prefer to um, trellis in flower. The, my first trellis goes down in flower. It usually goes down day one of flower and I let the plant grow through it. And I'm using, I'm using the trellis more as a trellis than I am a scrub. I'm using it to support the plant and to spread the plant open. And if it grows too far past the trellis to where it's going to be an issue support with support, then I have plant yo-yos that I'll use to take, you know, and support that one branch that I'm having an issue with. Um, but usually I try to time it so that I only have to use one. But what I would suggest for the vast majority of people is to do two trellis nets until you get really used to it. And if you do use that first net early on, like I said, week one, you can put it in there, let it grow through, and then use that second trellis net for the support. So the first one is just being used to spread the plant out and fill the space that that plant is in. And then the second net is just, you just want it to, to, to support. So all the bending and all that is happening underneath the first net. So Spartan, you're, what you're saying would be similar to what I do. When I go to flip and flower, I'll put a trellis like my outdoor stuff. Once the 21 days happen and they get the stretch on, that's when I will maybe add my second trellis just to support everything from that point on. Just yep. because I know that 21 day stretch, it may stretch two foot and I'm gonna need something a little bit higher. So yeah, I understand. There's a product out there called Grower's Scrog Nets for people um, in like tents. Um, I know Saturdays will change you, this doesn't apply to you, but they have like double layer and it's like stretchy material. So you can take it off and, and reuse it from run to run and wash it maybe in like hydrogen peroxide or something like that or in your laundry machine or something. But um, what I was going to suggest to Tanji is because he's got a long and more narrow space, something that I did in my tent, which is also long and, and narrow, was many of the trellis nets that you buy will be maybe double the width of your um, grow space. So instead of buying two trellis nets, you buy one and then find that row that is just long enough to cover two. And then you cut um, basically straight down the middle and you make two nets out of the one net. And that way you can apply uh, that as your second layer without having to actually buy two nets. Um, or I've even seen people kind of like fold it over up on top. There's a few different ways to go about doing it, but yeah. What I suggest for netting and it's probably not popular because the netting is plastic, but uh, what we do both at work and what I do at home is I just buy the width I need, which is four foot wide. And I just buy it in a long as roll as I can find and cut my own off. You're gonna be far cheaper that way than buying these pre-cut whatever sections. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I've even seen people use like uh, like fencing, like that you'd see just like random fencing, like the orange plastic fencing, uh, cheap you can find at Home Depot. Uh, as long as there's holes in there, you can grow through it. It's like a lattice style thing. And um, preferably thinner is better because you're not going to block as much light. But um, plastic definitely works. And I think that it can be recycled or at least melted down or burnt. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, <laughs> it doesn't hold microbials. So if you want to replace it each run, it's like for in Spartan's case at the commercial facility, they're not going to use like a fabric net because that can hold more microbials and that'll make their um, CFU count go up. So... Those are some things to consider if you're growing to be tested. 
most home growers don't have to worry about that. But it is kind of nice to think like, what's the lowest possible levels of microbials you could get on your plant if, if they may be dangerous. Some of them aren't though, unfortunately. So CFU total count might be misguided. Tangi says they're gonna wait till one day, uh, day one of flower. So thank you Spartan Grown for the advice there. Oh, yeah, that's the best way. You can use, you're kind of using the stretch. So you know that the plants are gonna stretch and flower, you, you know it. So put that in that a little bit higher than what the plants are when they go in there, because you know this is gonna get higher and uh, you should be okay. Use that, use that plant to just get it to spread out and fill. What you wanna do is it, like, for example, if you're in a four by four space and you have four plants in that four by four space, you know that each plant has to fill a two by two area. So just think of that when you're when you're trying to fill it. You know, each plant has to fill its space. Use the net to help you do that. Brandon Rust, you're uh, quiet over there. How are things going over there in Oklahoma, man? Everything's great. I personally hate trellis. Cheers, <laughs> <laughs> Brandon. That's why I'm quiet over here too. I don't like We're it, but I will say there's there's hemp trellis now that you can compost. I've seen like the regenerative farms like to do that in uh, Northern California, each run instead of like throwing it out or having to reuse it, they just throw it in the compost pile. And that's not why I don't like it though. Yeah. I don't like my plants being all trapped in there and not being able to access them easy or move them around or, and then when you take it down, it's, <clears throat> it's like a, yeah, it's just, I just don't like them. Yeah. I, I sort of agree with you more Tao. Um, it, it's more really about just the locking my plants into jail and then, the pain it creates with harvesting them. And, and you can't really move stuff around. Like I've gotten fairly late in the grow and, and rearranged colas sort of within my canopy space to, to better distribute them in a way that a, a net really kind of interferes with. Um, so you gotta use something to hold them up. But I, I think I, I'm not a big trellis. I also would agree because like I just had a harvest where my first plant finished two weeks before the second two so the <laughs> yeah. one in the middle when it finished if it would have been stuck in a net it would have been a pain in the butt but since oh, i don't yeah. use trellis I, I just pulled it out and then the last two plants had the remaining space to fill out and it worked extremely well um, so personally i think if you can get away with not using a trellis net that is definitely one way to go but it seems like in his setup uh it would be pretty ideal if he could just I think it does increase your yield. Um, I'll say that if you use it properly, I think it well, can there's definitely other ways increase to, your yield. It, it's yeah. one way to achieve a, a relatively even canopy and achieving a relatively even canopy is what increases your yield. Um, there are other ways to achieve a, an even canopy though. I'm, I'm not sort of um, pushing back on the, the function of it as much as just the practice of actually using the net. I think that you can use soft eyes and, and bamboo or something like that as plant trainer um, and get the, the same results in a much more sort of flexible outlay. Um, there's some advantages at scale. I think if you're trying to do that, it may make more sense to do it with a trellis. Um, I think that it, it's there's a look to it that I think growers sort of like see the the look of the net and something about that is itself attractive so I think there's an aesthetic draw to it um but yeah it just gets in the way more than I think it helps but you know I think start? it's also a simplicity thing like if you have eight bamboo stakes coming out of a gorilla glue pot because every single branch is going to flop over and snap on itself or you have a trellis where you can fill up every single square every single time and just know all right I've got one branch per each square um, where like training my plants I get a fairly even canopy and like most of my stuff is on the top but there's like 
eighty percent is the top, and then there's like that twenty percent that are like the shoulders, I guess. That didn't I would quite make say, it. yeah, it's not only the spread out of the canopy, but it, it does support though. Like um, in certain strains, if you don't have support, it's just not going to be good at all. So, like that Bruce Banner, I keep bitching about because it's sloppy. If I don't put stakes in it, it's just not going to be good. And I do believe that just the support alone will help the buds grow bigger because I've noticed that. And, you know, you've seen Kyle Cushman. I don't know if he's still doing it, but he has like 10, 10 sticks in each pod and he hasn't changed, I don't think. So it can't be all that bad to do it. You know, there's all ways of doing everything. Well, people often worry about like the root damage from sticking the stakes in and that's not really a problem. I mean, in fact, it, it kind of almost helps them a little bit when you do a little root pruning like that. Um, I, I sort of agree, although I would also just shout out that when I used bamboo, I usually only put four bamboo kind of into the corners of a, a pot. And then I would basically lash other pieces of bamboo using soft size to that sort of structure to be able to create like horizontal pieces or pieces that like shot off in a direction I needed to hold a particular cola. Like building a cage around it. With yeah, bamboo. yeah. But then that's individual for each plant, sort of. The, the big thing about getting the plants caught in a scrog, like you were saying, Jack, is like what happens when the plant in the back is ready to be harvested a week before the rest of the crop and it, they're all sort of stuck in the same net. From my perspective, I also have to agree that um, I think trellises are fine. Uh, the netting is fine. Um, but similarly, I would find this sort of difficult to check for certain pests and also like what you were saying, Dr. MJ, moving them around and that sort of a thing at scale, I think it makes a lot more sense. Um, I do appreciate though, being able to like move them around, but that could be because I'm plant like I'm failing to plan perhaps, I don't know. But sometimes, you know, you know, a plan doesn't uh, survive first contact with the enemy in this case the environment things happen um, uh, but yeah like and also like if I want to check the um, if, I, if I happen to be growing in a pot that's small enough if I want to actually check the root system that could be a little bit more difficult sometimes I really from the IPM perspective agree that it's also easier to like remove dead and um, like decaying leaves that are on the lower side of the canopy or back sides of the plants that might not be getting as much airflow when you're not reaching through nets and like through plants and things like that or you can actually pull the plant out or spin it around and work on like every single side of it where it's directly in front of your face um, for crop scouting I think that's important that's one of the reasons I actually also like pots versus a, a bed I do think there's a lot of advantages to a living soil bed but um, with pots if you have a issue whether it's a fungal or a pest pathogen whatever it is you can pull a single plant out of a row it's a lot easier to do that than cutting it out of a, a bed or even with the trellis situation like you could sure cut the trellis but that kind of ruins the tension and the uh, support to the plants around it and it just becomes more of a mess so there's some drawbacks so, to it um, there's a couple of things though they could for one he's in um, the bucket company buckets so he's not moving past anyway two you can do things like, for, for example, what I've done is for in my home setting is I made PVC frames and do a trellis net for each plant on its own. And then each plant is in a planter on wheels. So I can move my plants all I want until I get to the point to where they're late flower, if they've got really heavy buds that have gotten too far past the trellis and I have to support with yo-yo, then if I'm using the yo-yo, I'm stuck here. But before then, I'm fine. Yeah, obviously a monocrop 
also would help with the not harvest at the same time. You won't have to worry about that. So it's more conducive for monocrop too, because they're all going to be the same height as well. It help, you know. Or at least something that finishes the same week, or same height. Yeah. The, the 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 trellis helps to um, combat those issues too by kind of helping everything get to the same height. I like your idea with the multiple things. There's a guy on uh, Instagram called like two scrogs and I've seen him doing that too, where it's like, he's got his plants on casters and he has scrogs built for each individual plant. And uh, it reminds me of that, like a uh, quote, if you uh, fail to prepare, then you're preparing to fail. And in Spartan's case, he's doing the exact opposite. He's, you know, preparing for success and you know, he's got the idea. Well, each plant individually, I want to be able to spin it around and have access to it, pull it out and work on it. And he just, uh, got rid of a lot of the problems that you'd see with a traditional scrog or um, trellis netting situation. But that is definitely more like the uh, craft perspective where you're looking at every single individual plant one by one and, and working on it like that, I think is uh, something that we have the luxury of doing as home growers. And I think that we, I'm glad that you brought it up because we have an audience of people that have access to PVC and could make their own things like that. So great even go e easier than that. I mean, if you're in, if you're in circle pots, just get you a tomato cage and at the very top of the cage, spread your net across the top of that cage and, and secure it to that. I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, super, you know, some off. tomato cages have that they have, they come with a, uh, it might not be for tomatoes. It might be for a different plant, but I've actually bought them with that like great. Uh, it's like a, a, I don't know what you'd call it, a grid on the top. It's just like a metal grid. And if it doesn't come with that, you can use your own garden tie or whatever string. I've, my one buddy had like a twine, just literally a ball of twine that he used to make his own trellis with. Yeah, so. that's actually what I use at home too, is uh, on my PVC frame, it's the same size as the two by two space the plant needs to fill. And then I got screws drilled into it and I use twine just across the, the heads of the screws that I've got screwed in there. So I don't have to cut it. I can just unhook it and then pull it through completely and then i'm done you know what i mean i don't have to then it's just sitting there in a pvc frame at that point medfit i know uh one of the things you mentioned was you like the wind because you felt it built stronger uh stocks that could hold up the buds and things like that i also wonder um because one time i had an accident where my fan was on a higher setting than i thought it was and it kind of wind stressed one of my plants and it ended up producing the most resin of all three plants in the room and so i wonder um do you think that there's any benefits of like not running a trellis and running kind of a the higher wind situation to activate some sort of uh, response, whether it's a stress response or something else in the plant? I believe so. I mean, it's, if we're trying to mimic nature as much as possible, isn't that the whole idea? Like days like now we're getting 25 to 50 mile an hour wind gust and I still have an outdoor plant. There's not much I can do about the wind. I've got to let it deal with it and manage it. And until it's ready to come down, it's kind of got to deal with it. Uh, if I try to cover it, and protect it, I may have something, you know, do more damage to my plant because of the wind gust than, you know, the plant learning to do it itself. In, indoor, go ahead. I was going to say breeder Steve, one of the traits that it's kind of a funny term, but he's breeding for erect plants, which can basically fully support themselves in field grown because he wants to drill press crops and do field planting from uh, basically you drive a tractor over and it's dropping all the seed. You don't need a trellis. You don't need anything. The plant just grows straight up and it can support itself. And that's one of the big features structurally that he wanted to breed for with his plants. And I think that's um, something to consider so they don't have to go through all of the labor of having people like ourselves essentially staking up a bunch of trellises or uh, different support systems on larger scale. And you well, can definitely I, find those strains, yeah. 
some of it also comes back to how much silica you're allowing your plant to take as well to help with that cellular structure. And if you're barely using any type of silica product, your, your structure may be weak and not be able to support itself. And that's one thing like why I'll use either horsetail um, down, or who was it? Um, Build a Soil had a recycle uh, silica that was a powder form that I've tried out. I, I kind of like it. Um, there's a couple other products that I've used that were silica based beside the chitinase from uh, my plants are from my uh, insect grass. Do they have like RecycleSil or AgSil 16? Something similar to that. I don't, I, I have to show AgSil. I have a question is if this silicate, like potassium silicate or whatever kind of silicate, if, is that um, adding silica to your medium? Does anyone know? It should yeah, be. Depends on the form. You're adding yeah, silica yeah. either way, but one is plant available, one is not. It would need microbes to be broken yeah. down. It gets the mono potassium silicate that's plant available, and then the, I don't remember what the formula is on the other silicate. That's, is it potassium? I don't know what it is. Like Armor uh, SI yeah. is one, and that yeah, one is. Yeah, uh, it's silicic acid that's a plant available. available. Um, most forms of, of silica require um, microbial interaction in order to become plant available. So in an organic setup with a good microbe population, I think the answer to this is really different than if you're running in a hydroponic setup with, with other nutrients. I'm about to get really uh, bro sciencey on y'all. I was watching the witchy weekend earlier and they're talking about crystals. I've started recently using crystals in my pot because two rows in a row, <clears throat> I noticed the plant that we put the crystal in ended up being the healthiest and the most vigorous growing. And I know that might seem like silly to a lot of people, but I Googled uh, what the crystal was. Um, it's lithium quartz. And that particular thing was made up of primarily silicon dioxide. I know that's probably not plant available because it's an actual crystal and I don't know how it would mine it or make anything available to the plant, but right. it makes me wonder about what uh, medically fit was talking about with like EH and, um, redox and you know maybe if there's some sort of effect on the electrical charge or crystals the as long supposedly give off mellow volts isn't that right as long as you're not as long as you're not saying that you're channeling the ley lines or anything like that i, I think that's the main path of efficacy though man <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll have to research that a little bit <laughs> no i i yeah i, have I, no, I don't know I have what no, the mechanism is nothing to add on the crystals well, yeah, crystals really... are actually supposed to have a frequency to them, and each one's different. It's kind of, I, I guess Does it's it all matter, though. What's that? Yeah, light has a frequency. I mean, sound right. has a frequency. Water, everything sort of does. But um, they also use them in like cell phones as as part of the transmitter for your um, thing. And like liquid crystal technology has been used in TVs for a long yeah. time. So I think yeah, the crystals yeah. have been used with vibrating, science. vibrating, they have a reliable. That's the whole idea behind the quartz crystal for for telling time. Um, I wanted to, uh, if, if this is a, a time where I'd let you guys wrap up your thoughts about crystals, but there was a, a question in chat I wanted to get to. I have no more thoughts. I was just kind of throwing it out there um, because anecdotally, I've uh, it's a one in nine odds, but I have three plants that I take through flower every single cycle. I start with like 20 or 25 at a time and work it down to the best three. Yeah. And of those three, the one that I put the crystal in, and I know there's you know, obviously placebo well, effect. Maybe I... Yeah. Is your doing you Jack, know do what it. has the crystal? 
I agree. I agree. But I, I thought that it was not going to work. My, I was a skeptic and I was like, this isn't going to fucking work. This stupid ass crystal. And the first time I was like, eh, maybe. And then the second time I tried it, I moved the plant to the opposite side of the room. Like um, the first time it was far left. Second time it was far right. And I've been using water only soil, same strain versus same strain, et cetera. So, well, you know. guys know my motto. If you know, it's not going to hurt and it might help, then might as well do it, especially right. if it's cheap. And it was, it was cheap. You're getting cheap. So there you go. Yeah, it was gifted to me it, for free. So I figured, why not try it, right? There are just other things that vary when we run experiments like this. And, and one of them that's really significant is just the fact that you know that's the, the special plant or the different 100%. plant. And it Observer gets a different effect. kind of attention and a different kind of sort of care. Um, potentially could. It gets more space. It gets favored in different ways like that, too. And at the same time, if that is the case, if, that, if that's what explains it, then still it's positive effect, so continue to do it. But I would yeah, it's like writing like smile or happy or something yeah. positive. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I would have... also argue that that um, there's things out here that science still obviously hasn't, um, hasn't discovered or hasn't um, explained, and it will explain eventually, just like everything that comes up. So it could be something as simple as quantum you know, science, where, which is way beyond a lot of people's grasp to begin with that was breaking all the rules, but we still got there eventually. And it could be something that's a, a dimension that we can't even perceive that it's uh, affecting. So who the hell knows? Yeah, I mean, sure, but as, as Carl Sagan said, the universe is probably less fantastical than our imaginations would want it to be. Um, but that that's... I mean, I appreciate garden gnomes. I appreciate sort of, I have a whole bunch of little um, carved animals that sometimes uh, journey into the garden and keep the plants comfortable <laughs> and, and friendly, you know? Um, but I, 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 I think that it needs to be kept at that sort of uh, idiosyncratic level. Novelty explanations for why these things work that it just sort of like well oh, that's a bridge a little far for me well i think yeah i don't think he said i don't think he even presented it in that light he, he kind of started with a smile to begin with so yeah, I mean, yeah it's I'm, still skeptical. You know? I'm still he skeptical i'm still you can explain it just said it was unexplained so uh, for yeah. now they look nice though i'll say that and you know the real thing about this is all of those sort of effects that they have on us too it means that this stuff is sort of working and i love thinking about how those sort of magical practices end up having a measurable impact on things yeah totally really agree with that cool aspect of gardening i completely, i completely agree with that sentiment um i think it's really cool how much of human ritual and I'm definitely not the first, I know I'm not the first, and I'm definitely not the, the best articulate in this uh, capacity, but the idea that like, yeah, that a lot of human born rituals and practices of like primitive humans and before that, and I'm sure you have a ton of insight on this, Dr. MJ, but um, how that has a lot of actual basis in reality. Exactly. Well, and how it has real impacts. Um, and those impacts may not be exactly sort of through the pathway that the people often think, um, but it has a real social impact or a real sort of practical like force, impact. Right? Like when farmers practice magic in their fields, that absolutely, I mean, if you force them to stop doing that, it, um, they would have less successful harvests. So I'm completely convinced. And the farmers that I work with do things like, 
um, make little offerings in, in their fields and um, pray to specific saints to protect their fields and other things like that. And, and I firmly believe that those are like almost as important agricultural practices as fertilizing and weeding and other things like that. Um, it, it, it is to them, it is to the sort of experience of being a gardener. And it, it does a number of things for, for a farmer, one of which is puts us, gives us some feeling of control over outcomes that are normally not controllable. Um, and that's handy and helpful. Especially in agriculture, particularly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, like, like having music while like, you know, like planting your plants, like getting into a rhythm, you know, like it yeah. might not be like, because the, you know, the music muses are blessing your crops, but uh, maybe in a way you could interpret it that way because you're getting into a rhythm and you're focused and you're, you're in this actualization state. You're kind of hacking your own brain that way. You're hacking yeah. your body as well. I mean, your heart rate literally increases to higher BPM music. So like electric dance music, it's got that like mm -t, mm -t, mm -t, mm -t, gets your heart literally going versus like a smooth jazz or a soft classical, which is going to slow your heart down. So if you're at work and you're listening to some like, really chill groovy reggae versus like if you're listening to some more like upbeat i don't know whatever it is that gets you going you're probably going to get more things done and you're probably going to be more focused yeah. and, and do things i have like to that. take issue with that reggae is upbeat and you could get a lot some done listening to reggae and let me say yeah. this whatever actions you take and if you know it's the action that you're taking and your plants look happier after you take that action whether you understand the science or not i think you should continue doing it and um yeah because sometimes it's like we might find out later that, that what why it does make them happier. So I'll, I'll just throw that. Don't play any neonicotinoids. They might. I really do, but <laughs> not great. Yeah, I honestly believe that uh, that we affect the plants around us through our attitude, and um, and that's you call it what you will, like a psychological connection or or whatever. But um, so I, I still think there's an unexplained aspect. I still think there's that art. That's where the art comes into growing that makes uh, one grower better than another, even though they're running the exact same shit. Um, Secret Life of Plants touches on it a little bit, but this, a lot of that stuff fails to replicate. But then at the same time, when I meet a happy gardener and their garden is happy and they're killing it and everything that they pr produce is like amazing. And then you meet somebody who's just stressed out and they can't get their shit together. It's like, and they're like you said, they could be running the same nutrients, same lighting, same clones, everything. and one person's really making it work for them and the other person's not at all. And it's those little uh, things in between the lines, I'll say, that kind of make yeah. the big difference. Yeah, we give off frequency and definitely give off energy, you know? Have you ever been in, enter a room where there's like a fight going on and yeah. your, your whole, yeah, your whole thing changes, you know? Yeah. It is mostly heat energy, like a lot of things, right? Well, and like um, body language is 80% like of our communication. It's like they say 80% of your communication is nonverbal. I work with actual nonverbal autistic children. So I'm very like heavily cued into people's body language. So when I walk into a room and somebody was just fighting, even if they like tone it down and like try and act normal, you can see the look on their face. They still have like hormones flowing through their blood. Oftentimes people are so angry from a fight. They might not even cognitively remember what they're arguing about, but they still feel angry like 15, 20, 30 minutes later. It's because your blood is pumping a bunch of, you know, angry, basically hormones and uh, chemicals throughout your body. So even after you're cognitively like, all right, I'm over this, your body is still like in fight or flight mode or whatever you're trying to like still argue with that person. So, so you might still feel upset much, much longer after the argument's even over. I think the combination of adrenaline and cortisol 
or is that how it's pronounced? Yeah. Norepinephrine is part of it too, though. Um, I think those two play a huge role. Those two hormones. The for fight, the, flight. flight, or flight, fight or flight. Uh, uh, processing part of the brain. Well, like height or serotonin flight. is too. That's a that's a getting high joke. Um, so I like that. <laughs> Uh, there was a question Dr. MJ mentioned a while ago. Did do you we... still have it, Doc? Uh, yes, yes, I do. Um, it was a question about autopots, and they asked why I didn't like bottom feeding, um, particularly in, in cocoa. Um, it depend, it, different media work differently, and different systems of fertilization um, would work differently. I think it would be fine, for example, in a super soil. Um, but an autopot designed to fertigate I mean, anytime you're fertigating with a bottom feed system, meaning you're basically flooding the tray that the, the pot sits in and allowing the water to wick up into the media. Um, if you're providing salty water, the salty water wicks up into the media and then the water's removed, the salts can stay behind and just accumulate. Um, and, and so when you're providing salty water, when you're fertigating, it's important to always top feed um, and to flush those salts down. Now you can sort of work around this problem and the way that Autopod sort of recommends running their gear is a workaround to this problem, but you're gonna end up with toxic root conditions near the top of the, the media that are way too salty um, unless you're consistently sort of flushing it out. And so that's why we always have a little bit of runoff when we top feed is to sort of carry away any extra salts. And if all you're ever doing is bottom feeding, there's no mechanism to remove those salts from the pot. I think that was uh, thoroughly addressed. I know that some people do run uh, cocoa in the auto pot system. And if they just run extremely low EC or if they're doing like a water only cocoa loco style, like amended cocoa yeah. versus nutrient salts, like you were talking about, they can make it work. But I think what Dr. Well, said is you can pertinent. also just make it work by allowing that salty sort of um, toxic root condition to develop in the, in the top part of the media and only growing healthy roots at the bottom of the pot, which is essentially what, what the autopot sort of strategy that they recommend will, will, result, will result in. Um, so uh, it, I'm just not a fan. You're ending up with a plant that's sort of constantly exposed to really um, high concentrations of salts in the top area of the root zone and only has a much smaller sort of healthy area to work with. Unless you're just running water. Yes, unless you're just running unless water. If, if the nutrients are already incorporated into the soil, then I think bottom feeding or other feeding that uses wicking, um, the same basic issue for a different reason, I mean, same basic reason applies to like the blue mat system, which is also essentially based on that, that pressure of wicking within the media. Um, it won't be able to produce runoff and nothing will ever carry water, the excess salts out of the media. So um, I don't know if I, we have any more questions from the chat, but uh, kind of going back a little bit to dive in deep into the not so scientific, just because I'm in that kind of mood tonight a little bit, I guess. I was curious. Oh, I, I, we've got one Spartan grown. You wrote in the comments over here on Zoom we could go to. Yeah, I just uh, pulled it out too. Okay. Um, I was going to just ask uh, Dr. MJ, have you seen the IKEA study where they like, I think they call it bully a plant 
they have like school kids that say like mean things into a recorder then they have school kids say a bunch of positive things into a recorder and they take those two recordings and they pump them into uh, two plants side by side and they're in like a grow box that keeps the conditions ideal they use the same nutrient solution and a similar plant from ikea i guess and by the end of like the month or whatever after they play the positive to the one it like stays really happy and the negative one ends up kind of getting droopy and looks all messed up so I was curious if you had any thoughts on that before I go and read this question. <laughs> so it's like, um, no, I haven't seen it. And it, I mean, it sounds like, like an interesting um, sort of promotional thing, but it I'd was actually replicated in- with a white paper. They um, have done this now. Through yeah. Like- I'd be interested in, in, in looking more into that. Um, sure. Sure. Yeah, well, I'll point out that a white paper doesn't mean it's, it's golden truth. I, agree. I have a white paper on yoga, Brahmic farming. So if you guys want to really make your plants happy, I'll send you that and you can I've read that. all get started. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what is it? What is it? The yogic Brahmic farm. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, farming. Uh, it's from. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll grab it for you and send it to you, Trust. I don't well, know if you I mean, do. I think you just meditate. Doesn't have a lot of memory on it left. Is it like you have to do yoga with your plants or something like that? You know, like his prayers. They they they, yeah, out and they, they did their prayers over the plant over the fields and then mm-hmm. they did tests afterwards and compared them with controls. I didn't get the prayers. And are you guys familiar? There's a white paper where this uh, woman will take seeds and her she'll um she'll put a key energy into the seed and the seed will like germinate within ten minutes and have like a tail like uh six inches long so has I it can, replicated I that. she she it says in some uh readings that she did replicate it in a few spots but not uh, her. more than you once you can't replicate your own study her. no you have to have somebody no, else I, replicate your study or else it's not replication well that's the same person did, doing someone the... else witnessed her like you know what i mean it wasn't her study it was someone else said let's see if this is you true. could go to a magic we'll do show it again and be amazed right. twice in a row, and they're still doing magic, you know, like right, you know. Penn and Teller. Dave, We're pulling uh, off the deep end on this. <laughs> Sorry, but, but Mystic yeah, Mushroom I mean, who knows? says, at Dr. MJ, last week briefly mentioned uh, lower branches tend to hermaphrodite. Can you expand on this? Um, yeah, flowers that, that don't get as much energy directed to them from the plant are the ones that are more, more likely to sort of go hermaphrodite. Um, so if you have shaded out lower growth on a plant, um, that's where it's most likely to throw pollen. I, Do you I know why? Everybody on the on the panel would chime in and probably agree with that experience. I was curious about the dynamics of that too. I think it's a hormone. Well, I, I, I think it's really just that the the those flowers are receiving sort of less prioritization from the plant. Um, they're not able to fully develop as female flowers, and they end up producing male pollen. So like there's like a whole but like isn't that is that not like a hormonal process so like localized yeah yeah i'm not sure exactly what's going on at the hormonal level but i I do that sort of it's triggered by that energy grade difference medfit do you have any thoughts on this here i feel like i've heard you talk a lot about hormones and different pathways and things i think you're muted over there right now but uh Yeah, uh, I believe it has to do with hormonal changes within the plant itself. Um, There's been a a lot of discussion over time on like, how can a plant change its sex, especially when it goes, how do I want to say, into a hermaphrodite phase where there's no male pollen present. So 
somehow the the plants recognizing this and it's throwing off these sacks so that's where to me i've always believed it's something with um plant succession that it kind of figured out this over time that once in a while it had to do something to pollinate to keep its genetic um code around and if it couldn't do it then it would know it's going to die off so somewhere you know kind of along that line is where i figured the plant kind of figured out how to do that well, I, I agree with you that it functions as sort of a safety mechanism for reproduction, but I, I'm not sure that I agree that this kind of thing would only happen in the absence of males. I think this kind of thing happens regardless of the presence or absence of males. We are much more sensitive to it in the absence of males because it becomes the only source of pollen. We don't want pollen. But I don't think that the absence of males is a trigger for this, uh, for hermaphrodism. I go no. in my um, uh, IPM review video that like the, the cannabisii family in general is kind of atypical in that they have species that are monaceous and species that are dioecious. And I think that, I don't remember what the basal trait is for the family. I wanna say it's monaceous. But I don't. Remember. I would bet it's monaceous. Person, I would just guess, but that's that's my guess. Well, that's basal for all plants, but yeah, um, for the cannabis family, I would imagine that would be as well. That's it's a, what know, it reverts yeah, to in nature. Point, but you make a really good point there too, right? Like, um, but I think that the atypical thing is that in a lot, I guess that in a lot of plant families, this is not usually the case, or at least it's not usually such a big mix-up between the various species and genera. Well, one like would think that it has to be hormonal if you can make uh, a female produce male. Uh, it's hormonal in some way, right? It is. Yeah, it's yeah, weird, yeah no, sure. it is hormonal. But we're talking sort of not just about the hormonal processes of a female plant producing pollen. We're talking about specifically, well, the question was specifically about why is this triggered on lower sort of shaded out branches? Um, it, it would be it's gonna be triggered there first. So there's a, a whole other complex sort of set of, of plant processes well, behind this as well. To me, that I think right. that comes with the uh, lack of, like we were talking, the stress response in the plant down on the lower sites in indoor cultivation is not getting a lot of light penetration. It's not getting a lot of the photosynthetic properties and actions it's looking for. Therefore, I or think that's exactly. And then and couldn't that's that be where, yeah. light is allowing the hormones to be produced, just like secondary cannabinoids. The most uh, terpenes, the most uh, THC and resin is produced on the top buds where the most light is. So I'd imagine that there's also the most flowering hormones that are Is that there. proven, Jack? Because I, I think there's plants that it. it's, it's potent up and down and some plants are potent more at the top. Plus, I'll say that uh, perhaps the plant realizes that that branch cannot support and make healthy seed without enough light so perhaps that's why it's leaning towards making male flowers i'm just throwing it you know i want to throw there. something into this conversation it is usually the top flowers but it's not because of the light that they're receiving it's because of the way the plant prioritizes growth within itself and where it shoots that energy i had a really fun experience with this because i had an auto flower that wouldn't stop growing until it got to the roof of my tent and i couldn't get it underneath the light so the the tallest cola was above the light 
And it still was sort of the densest, most resinous cola on that plant, even though it was up in the shadows above the lamps. Um, so it's not actually being in light that does that. It's where it is on the plant and how the plant is going to distribute energy to, to grow those flowers. I don't know. I've witnessed the opposite where the bud that was not getting any light above the light was growing meager and the, you know, even though it was the very top. So I, I would know. say that the studies that I've seen, and it's not like a well done studies because this was in prohibition era. Um, but when they were looking at the flowering tops versus the mids versus the lowers, the highest cannabinoid content was always found in the tops of the plant. And they were, they were looking at one strain or multiple. This is like across, varieties? like I said, in prohibition time. So it's typically they don't even tell you what strain it is, but they're just looking at like, okay, they came in, they chopped down a crop uh, that was illegally grown, and then they're testing different parts of the plant to see how potent it is and things like that. So, um, yeah, they prioritize the tops because studies. the tops are most likely to get sort of pollinated. They're the most likely to be sticking up above the rest of the, the um, canopy and all of the rest of that. It makes a lot of sense in terms of sort of evolutionary thinking why they would prioritize that higher and, and external growth. One resin in, in some regard, I mean, we've seen like the UV studies that show like the higher altitude stuff has to create more resin production as like a photoprotectant. It's like a sunscreen for the plant. Um, or it's even not light burn, but make that light that light burn tips on some LEDs. You see the plants, yeah. So that's obviously a light. Light. So I've seen I that see outdoor now. I've actually finally seen that on an outdoor plant that was grown in a greenhouse um, with like not a ton of light. So I think there's like cannabis albinism as well as that because um, I've only seen that previously indoor under LED plants or even sometimes like CMH, that little bleached tip. Uh, kind of looks like the plant flew a little too close to the sun and it gets like stark white almost looks like a little piece of popcorn on the top of your bud but um that does happen outdoor believe it or not i just this year for the first time saw it outdoors pots uh smart pot smoker smart poker asks in the comment uh, does only one gene control photoperiodism or scotoperiodism really in cannabis i'm trying to understand some autoperiod stuff how do alleles work in all of this and I think that there's got to be more than one gene that can, that sort of influences this effect, but kind of kind of gets to the sort of heart of the conversation, which is like, if you call it a hormonal thing, well, is it a natural hormonal thing? So is it not an exogenous chemical, but is it genes that are overexpressing, uh, you know? Or getting very, turned on by something, yeah. Yeah, so it's really kind of, as you ask that question more precisely, you know, you kind of get more questions, less less answers really i have a, a semi just like definitive answer as far as there was a company that had a bunch of money in science that looked into trying to find autoflower allele um fuck phylos i'll just say that right off the bat but phylos bioscience they were their password was autoflower allele um it got leaked but they were searching for which would be an autoflower allele they found out i believe that it's not responsible just to one allele there's several yeah, that uh, go into it. and there's not just one type of auto there's semi-auto there's full auto like stuff that will do 24 hours and then there's stuff that will flower at 18 hours and some that only goes at 12 or 13. i'll also they, add that like but they figured it out though because they, they're selling autos now auto hemp there's a um there's, an, there's a school of thought about cannabis development that essentially, because of some ideas about where it's originated and what we know about how 
plants in that area and plants generally kind of over time, especially in the last like 50 to 100 million years, there were a lot, there's a lot of, and I've mentioned before, like the ice caps and like the refugia that was created when like there would be glaciation periods and then they recede and then they come and they recede. And through that, a lot of plants would just die through that process over time, but it would sort of concentrate the plants in these refuges, refugia. And I think that, I think that with cannabis, there's an idea that there might've been some chromosomal, um, like ploidy effects or something like this, or some sort of like um, kind of concentration of, of like genes and homogenization. And that might've had an effect um, uh, kind of kind of influencing the sort of male-female um, trait disparity. Like I have a question individuals. about the autoflower thing. I've had, I've experienced at least three plants that when they get root bound intensely, they start throwing flowers. What do you, what's the cause of that? Does anyone have opinions Stress. or knowledge? I mean, Kyle hey, Breeder, yeah, you could go ahead and- triggers tell us about um, some of your stress testing and how root binding is one of the things that will cause things to hermaphrodite. It's, it's even not, in no, not even, I wouldn't hermaphrodite, it would just start flowering, like, in, like not really autoflower, but you know, it wouldn't hermaphrodite, just start flowering. Was it male? I'm just curious. No, well, no, the ones that I, the ones I was talking about are not male and they definitely didn't have autoflower genetics in either. Kyle, are you with us? Looks Did like you keep it going? Yeah, yeah. Well, did you keep it going on a veg light schedule? Yeah, I kept it in veg, and then when I would transplant it, it would have a spurt of growth, and then if it got root bound in a new container, it would start, uh, re, you know, start doing it again. Did it re veg at all at that? Yeah, point yeah. When you yeah, yeah. When I plant, when I planted, it would start to revert to like a normal looking veg. Yeah, this Until is it got root bound again. Yeah, we had a plant that we we let get root bound. One of the plants my wife's grows in the windowsill, um, and it it started flowering. Um, it actually produced some sort of reasonable flowers, but it never really got very. It was never getting twelve hours of darkness. Um, it was certainly throwing a lot of pistols and and growing a lot of sort of flowers, but it stayed sort of underdeveloped and then really started yeah. struggling with its root binding and other issues. Um, and we ended up just sacking it because it looked like it was going to be crap. But um, yeah, I was sort of thinking about that plant. I'm like, why is this plant flowering and why is it flowering so sort of strangely? So I'm curious if you had a similar experience or if they just seem to be going well. Well, no, like, yeah, and it wasn't like a full-on flower, like you're saying. It's kind of like super pre-flower, like three or four pistols everywhere, though. And then, like yeah. I say, if I transplant, if I upplanted it, it would have a, a spurt of growth that mimicked regular veg stage growth, you know? And yeah, then, we never applauded mine. I, I, that's part, that's an interesting part of your story, by the way, that it, when it got more space, it, it seemed to spurt in vegetative growth. Um yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that this may also be some issues with some of these genes that, that they're playing around with in cannabis breeding now, too. Kyle, specifically, I know he's not with us right now, but um, that's one of the tests that he does for his stress testing is extreme root binding to see if it causes Hermes, to see if it causes autoflowering or uh, pre-flowering. Uh, I know that he's like done stuff in solo cups, like 
three foot, four foot tall and just keeps it in there as long as you can to see like how much stress it can actually handle. And root binding is <laughs> yeah. something I'm I've doing seen. doing that right now. <laughs> we, all, we all have a bunch Solo of cup challenge. Uh, plants in the party cups right now. I have one that's definitely root bound and I'm going to keep my eye on it. See, uh, see if it does anything weird. I had a question about your uh, grow challenges. I think I might've messed up. Um, do you have to like sign up with a grow before a certain date? Cause like when I went on October 1st to start uploading my um, low stress training, it like didn't seem to allow me to make my journal on Cocoa for Cannabis. I don't know if I dropped off or if Doc, are you there? I got here. I just don't hear Cocoa. Oh, sorry. I think I was on mute. Um, anyways yeah so i think we might have gotten confused um the current grow challenge is the plant training grow challenge it started in august and we all flipped to flowering on october 1st the signups for that were open until october 1st um and then we flipped the sign up is now taking signups for the new year's grow challenge which starts on january 1st um, so we might have, I could still get you into a, a, a plant training grow challenge, but we're supposed to be flipping or, you know, initiating flowering at this point. Um, I flipped October 1st. I just, okay, uh, so you just need I have all the photos and stuff that. like photo tagged with the dates and everything. I just didn't realize I had to update or like upload it before the first, I was like, oh, I'll just go and show my veg and like say oh i started on this yeah date. You're, you're here flipped on this date. Yeah. yeah so the only thing you probably missed doing was registering when we still had the registration up there so if anybody wants to register for one of our challenges go to cocoforcannabis.com forward slash challenge and that page will describe the current or the next grow challenge and there's a sign up down at the bottom of it it's always free. Um, it's just that right now it's already for the next one, Jack. So I can um, get you added to the plant training grow challenge. We'll get that worked out. No worries. Sounds good. I, I didn't top for the first time in literally years. These are the first three plants that I'm growing without topping. And I think if uh, I posted live updates of my garden right now, people would be like, there's no way he definitely topped because it's like, it looks just like a same flat canopy with a bunch of colas. So yeah, low stress training can definitely work really well. Yeah, for sure. It's been interesting looking through those journals. So if you're going to join that group, that's great. That's the the smallest group right now, but um, good journals in there. And it's really interesting to see how people train without topping and bending and twisting their plants around. Much respect to all those people, especially if they're not tying down. I'm in there every single day, bending, moving the plants around. It's like total cannabis bonsai challenge. And uh, I realized that even when I top, I kind of take that technique, cannabis, uh, can can grow called it like the green thumb method where you don't have a trellis you don't have bamboo stakes you literally just kind of uh kyle cushman called it cannabis chiropractic where like you start super cropping from like literally a quarter inch up above the soil so i crack there i crack at the first node second node third node everywhere up and down all the stems so by the time i'm finishing in flower there's like chunks of stem that are super like tough and rigid that are basically like they're super cropped they're just not bent over and um you fill the whole space without having to use any trellis or support. And uh, I don't know, I think it works out really well. Can Can Grow is gonna be, oh, he's in the chat right now. Hell yeah, shout out to Can Can Grow. Good guy, he's uh, hopefully gonna be coming back with Hydro Hustlers with Miss Nudie on the Cheap Home Grow Network. That's one of our other panel shows. They do a really great job. So uh, shout out to Can Can. It's great to have you back uh, posting and engaging with us in the community again, buddy. We're going into the second hour. Does anybody have any topics on their mind that they'd like to uh, 
talk about a little bit, Med? Maybe you as our guest, is there anything that you'd like to talk about? Uh, we can talk about Redox. I have a couple questions for Med that might be Redox related <clears throat> that I haven't gotten someone to answer proper. Uh, what do you think about grounding container plants? And does that help or in any way with possibly the Redox? And how about adding a little electric to your uh, root ball to see, you know, if that could help? Is there any, uh, what do you, what's your take on those? So describe the first one to me again. What are you doing? Okay, well, the theory is, and there's a patent actually that the U.S. Patent Office set out, like plants that are in containers have no connection to the ground. Whereas, um, you know, if it's grown outside, it has a connection to the ground. So they have, they, they actually sell things that you plug into your uh, outlet that's grounded to, you know, electric ground that supposedly, you know, and it grounds the soil. And what, what I've done is I put a, a thermostat wire, copper wire, I screwed it to where my lightning bolt uh, for the water, you know, like if you get hit with lightning, you have a lightning rod or whatever. In any right. case, it's grounded into the ground and I stick it into my, one of my pots. Since all the plants are touching, I'm figuring it's electricity kind of thing. It's all like getting that ground. Something to do with electron loss. I mean, and it's a thing with people too. They say she could run outside and stand barefoot and, and get grounded in this exchange of electrons. Earth grounding. Yep, earth grounding, where it's just your bare feet touching the ground. So the transfer of electrons between the natural earth and your body can happen. Right. Same thing with the theory with the plant. So what do you think? I believe in it. Do I quite do it? No, but yeah, I do believe that there is a purpose for it. Um, so if you ever see the your electrical outlet has like two prongs and then your third one where like my thumb would be that's your ground uh right. for when, when you're wiring something and, and that in your outlet will also go to a ground and just another story that kind of is related to this the american one there's a guy named wayne laughter of house of harlequin if you've heard of this yep, CD yep. strain harlequin before he found yep. that strain by he grounded four plants and those became like red and and uh, all sorts of crazy colors so he called it harlequin like harlequin's outfit where the other four plants that he didn't ground just stayed green and faded to a yellow and I, it, it's anecdotal it might be bullshit don't call me out for it i've already said enough uh questionable things on this podcast tonight but um he, yeah i saw we talk about it on hash church more than once and yeah i felt vindicated about bringing it up i feel like sometimes there's these shared experiences like in psychology i learned about this like sometimes um my brother or i would like share a story and then i'd be like wait no that actually happened to you not me or something like that so uh swami from like the uh, he goes by gas as well but swami the dude he's like a white guy with a long white beard um, he also told a similar story about grounding. So I don't know if maybe he actually did the same thing and had the same experience or if he just heard Wayne tell the story enough times that like he thought maybe it was him who did it. I don't know. Because he grows only outdoor now. So I wouldn't, um, I'd wonder when that would have happened. Well, grounding is going to be it. So the theory, like your home electrical, you have voltage that comes in, comes in on your hot leg. You have a neutral leg, which is supposed to feed it back. Well, your neutral leg is also bonded and tied in with the ground that actually goes out down to the ground rods into the ground. So that where if there's a surge in the house is actually supposed to feed through and go out the neutral, out the ground, into ground itself uh, and dissipate. So the ground itself should have some type of like uh, con elect conduit uh, how do i want to say conductivity. yeah conductivity yes um and so it's 
And if we look at like what, I guess, dirt soil is made up and how everything is bonded, there's chemical bonds there that electric can flow through. And so low amounts of energy can be transferred through the ground itself. Uh, Nikola Tesla, when he did his uh, free energy, his Tesla um, coil. Power, coil, he actually put light bulbs directly in the ground over a hundred miles away and they were still lighting up. And it was just the current that was flowing from ground to air that was causing everything to, I guess, be a complete circuit. It's interesting. Uh, I think American One's question was, does the grounding affect redox? Well, I would have to think that if it's possible um, because of, what is it? Um, like electron redox. transfer, right? Yeah. Right, because as long as there's um, electrons that are being lost during the transfer, redox can happen um, from my understanding of what these papers are stating. Redox is short for redux, reduction oxidation, correct? Right. Okay, so it's, um, and there's a few different things like H2O2 is one, like hydrogen peroxide, but there's a few other things that can be created by the plant. And I think even within the soil, maybe through the microbes that impact the redox is, I've been trying to read the papers. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And it doesn't feel like we have a whole ton of control. It seems like at the end of the day, it comes down to like when you're watering and watering hey. at the proper time is really important. Well, some of what uh, Leighton was talking about was EH and pH within the plant, but that's just not it alone, there's more to it than just that. The plant itself within the mind of mitochondria actually produce RSO. Oh, wait. ROS. Oh, exactly. ROS, reactive oxygen species. And so it doesn't- and those are like what I was just talking about, the H2O2 and the other things. Right. Um, and they have different, different ways that they can make it, different ways um, that um, the plant will do it itself um, some of it are like glutathione ways. Um, there's, God, I, there's just a lot of- Brandon, I heard you talk about this a little on Future Cannabis Project. I'm going to throw out a few of the other reactive oxygen species, um, singlet oxygen, alpha oxygen, radical, or hydroxyl radical, superoxide, and peroxides. Uh, Brandon, do you have any thoughts on the whole um, idea of redox in the soil and, and what would be controlling it. Do we have control over it or is the plant just doing its own thing? Like how do we dial in redox and- um... Um, Well, what we're talking about is uh, mineralization and things that uh, fall into inorganic and organic substances. What happens is like plants feed on mineral substances. And so a lot of the chemical, uh, uh, chemical ions that they, that they need um, they have to be mineralized first. Um, and then sometimes things have to be reduced like atmospheric nitrogen, and then it has to be converted by bacteria uh, for, you know, th that's part of the nitrogen cycle. And the nitrogen cycle is, is like, you can see like oxygen uh, redox and you can see mineralization in the, uh, in the nitrogen cycle, if you look at that. And it's basically, um, these different chemicals can, uh, exist in kind of different forms. Um, and there's only certain forms that are going to be biologically available to the plants. Um, and so they have to go through different processes 
to, you know, to become uh, available. Um, when we're talking about, when they talk about um, uh, EC and pH, they're talking about a more complete picture of pH, not just where things are available on a pH scale, but also where, um, uh, where there's a, a small gradient in, um, in, in a voltage uh, of the of the soil it's a, it's a tiny 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 amount but it basically what it does is it it changes kind of the idea of the way that we're looking at what becomes available and how it becomes available um, and at what ranges um, things will mineralize um, and, and or uh, fall back into a, a reduced form uh, so it's kind of complicated and I'm taking some courses so I can uh, learn a little bit more about it because it's really interesting, but it basically there's like a, a millivoltage that's associated with uh, the electron transfer because when we're talking about like um, things like covalent bonds and the way that chemicals form, um, they also transfer electrons as well. And so that hasn't really been looked at, I guess, in the past. And I didn't even know that it hadn't because all this is really new to me. So um, I, I'm still learning. Uh, but my understanding of it is that um, there, it's not so much like the grounding force. Uh, it's just that like all these different factors um, will have a different, uh, I guess, change on the soil pH and, uh, you know, the electrical conductivity of that soil and also the, uh, the uh, what is it? Uh, uh, I can't think of it. What were we just talking about? pH, pH, EC. ROS. ROS. <laughs> yeah, so. I was curious if, um, I hear sometimes and I don't really quite understand it, but Coot talks about it a little bit and I'm throwing this out to Brandon, uh, Med. Spartan or anybody who's knowledgeable on that subject, but I hear a little bit about like paramagnetic rock dust and things like that being used in the soil. So um, I feel like it's kind of semi-related to the this redox issue. So where does magnetism start playing in? And um, is that just a soil structure thing? And soil structure and size of particles it's, it's, too, right? When we're talking about kind of like forces that bind when we things like to be balanced and the number eight is really interesting for these uh these things because they want to balance themselves out so if something has uh you know six protons and something else has two protons they're going to make a COVID, they're going to be able to bond to make a balance and so things can be built that way um and they can be like kind of taken back apart um but I think the I think what he's talking about is, you know, highly char particle charged, and, and what that is is probably something that has a high um, amount of um, minerals that are going to be reactive with other things in the soil. Well, that brings my question: What if you add a little voltage to the roots? We it would have to be in millivolts. Okay. And would it be? Bowl. Could it possibly be beneficial? Has anyone ever done experiments with that kind? I've of seen stuff? like a house plant side Pretty by sure. side with a Tesla coil. <laughs> Pretty sure there has been such things. As far as magnetism, um, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but like the the Earth, of course, has a magnetic field, and there's like different. There's also differences, by the way. There's slight differences in like 
gravity, very, very, very minute, mind you. And same with magnetic, sort of the magnetic yeah. field. Um, but like, I don't feel like, I think you'd have to like be putting neodymium magnets or something into your soil for you to get a really strong magnetic effect. Or at least one that wasn't... Twisted Roots does it in his water. He uses a powerful magnet in his water to like do something to the water before he feeds it to his plants and claims that he gets good results. But I don't know any science behind it. Well, you know, there was something that I saw that was really interesting too, which was, it was a like a biochemistry paper and they were structuring water so that they, they, so that they could get it to behave differently with, uh, with different chemical compounds. Um, and so it was Good charge, right? What's that? Did they use electrical charge? Um, you know, I, I can totally see I that being possible. They were using, I, I, I need to find some more, uh, paperwork, uh, or, uh, more, uh, research studies because it, 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 it piqued my interest, but I didn't have a whole lot of time to read through the whole thing. So I'll have to go back over it, but it's, uh, it's, if I find uh, when I find it, I'll I'll shoot it to you guys. You. For sure, that's interesting though. Um, I know that there's like different forms of water, and in some cases, it's it's almost kind of like academic to really like. I think what they were doing difference. was they were completely filtering out the water, so there was no impurities in it, and then they were in you know making the molecules of the water actually line up a certain way, so that way. Yeah. When when that water does come in contact uh, with the chemicals or whatever it came in contact, it, 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 the way that it bonds would behave differently. That Kangen water makes those kind of claims with like tea. They say that they have like more water particles per, like even if it's the same size glass, it breaks the water up with electrolysis and then that makes the p particles of water smaller so they could be more easily absorbed by a human or plants is, is the claim. Yeah, like Tetris, they fit it, they fit together better. So, yeah, it's structured water. They have, I've seen a bunch of things about structured water, and I don't know how it would affect with nutrients and plant uptake, though. Well, you know, the fun fun fact is that like water is not super conductive, like if it's pure water, in the way that like ninety nine percent of the time the water we interact with has some impurities in them in it, but. Um, yeah, I'm not saying you can't make it. That's why it's called electrical conductivity, right? I mean, right. EC is um, if there's like CalMag, you put CalMag in there, now there's EC. When it's RO, there's no electrical conductivity, or, or it's really, really, really low, and that's it why pH definitely is definitely insulated in a different way. Some people say they add tap water so the pH would be more stable to the RO water because the R water RO is so clear, whatever, clean that it it makes it fluctuate quick. Yeah, Dr. MJ does a good job describing how like adding CalMag or anything else will um, help it with your budget of EC and, and preventing that pH swing so dram like dramatically. So I think definitely adding stuff before you start uh, adjusting pH if you're using RO is responsible to do. So you don't end up wasting a whole jug of pH up and down. Yeah. Yes. I heard my name. I'm like, I wait, that was my name. I got lost. Doc, we're calling. <laughs> I was gonna say Kyle didn't get a chance, um, but he just signed out. He said he has a slight emergency to attend to. So uh, shout out to Predicative Breeding. That's pbreeding.com. If you're looking for feminized seeds, Kyle, uh, I tried to give you a shout to jump in earlier and, and you missed out. And uh, sorry for that, buddy. We, we love you very much and uh, appreciate your input whenever you do get a chance to talk. And uh, next time, hopefully we'll go over the root binding and uh, pre-flowering things.
Spartan Grown, how are things going over there in Michigan for you? Everything's more the same, just still doing the same kind of thing. Uh, working good at work, uh, news for there was uh, we just won a contest. Uh, PowerSide was holding the Big Mom contest. And uh, they- Well earned. Uh, yeah, they used me for the pitcher because I was the tallest guy around, so. <laughs> I'm 6'2", and that plant makes me look like nothing, man. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you have the face for it too, come on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Make sure to go check out Spartan Growing on Instagram. If you're not already following him, follow him. But check out that plant because it is truly, truly impressive. That plant is massive, grown through the rafters, <laughs> grown through the lights. But they probably still got hundreds of healthy cuts off of it. And, uh, man, oh, I was yeah, we took the plant. We took a hundred or 200. We took about like 200 cuts off it right after that picture. And it looked like we did nothing to that plant. We ended up cutting it down. But, yeah, it's it's in a 10 gallon pot and cocoa. So there's a power cocoa for you. That was in a 10 gallon pot. Having to water it twice a day. Crazy. Gallons, gallons and gallons twice a day. Yeah, I saw that picture. That was pretty dope. That was, <laughs> that was probably one of the biggest indoor plants I've ever seen. We were like, uh, when they announced the contest, we were just like, are they really going to, we're going to just grow it to the ceiling. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're just going to grow it to the ceiling. Screw it. I think they, they're so awesome. Like how, how fast they grow. I think I already mentioned this before, but I do like that. I actually have a, a small subject to discuss. Just a small one. I wanted to, to mention, um, uh, I received some pictures from somebody and maybe we'll screen share it. I don't know if, we can do that. Would that be possible? I'll, I'll make you the host here in a second, and then you can. Oh. All right, Matthew, you are officially the host. So you should be able to screen share. When it pops through, I'll let you know. How's Lucky doing over there, Brandon, while we uh, wait for Matt, uh, Matthew? Well, you know, he's being, he's being okay, but he wants a lot of attention right now. So I'm just feeding him some exotic bird seed, which will be available soon. Here we go. I can see the, uh, now it's full screen. I'm not sure if it's shown up on YouTube quite yet, but it looks like a plant with some black stuff crawling on the side of it. Yeah. Can you identify what that is? I guess I'd have to zoom in to see it a little closer. Are those bugs? It looks like a fly of some sort, perhaps. They are bugs. They are um, spotted lanternfly nymphs. Oh, no. Where is this at? This is in... Um, where is this, actually? I don't, I don't remember. I should have... I should have gotten that information before. Not uh, San Diego, California, I hope. Not San. No, this is Pennsylvania. That's right. This oh, Pennsylvania, which is the spot lantern fly epicenter, um, you know, since 2014. So, you know, I've talked about it before. You know this very well, Jack. Everyone in the panel knows this pretty well. But um, I just thought I would put a picture to it because I know that some people out there have said that they've never especially even if they live in Pennsylvania, haven't seen um, spot lanternfly on any cannabis. And I'm here to say that not only did I call it, it's also very unimpressive for me to call it because this thing eats everything. So it's not really, <laughs> not really surprising. But and it's a known hemp pest, right? It is a known hemp pest. There is Chinese uh, literature on the subject from the 
80s um but yeah that plant looks healthy what do they do do they eat the actual plant do they suck juice what's their frequency there they um they are sucking plant pests so they are herbivores they're kind of like a big old aphid they're a plant hopper specifically full gorody they devour crops if you have large enough numbers they will eat the actual entire plant like most of it or until it dies they'll suck all the yeah they'll suck all the phloem out of it and um they'll desiccate it from the inside out and um they feed on grapes they feed on various stone fruit um like over 25 different families of plants are affected and set many 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 species and they like the chinese sumac which is um uh elanthus altissima and it's also called the tree of heaven and it's everywhere in north america and um it's it's really good for the spotted lanternfly because when it feeds on the chinese sumac there are alkaloids that it takes up and then sequesters in its body we were kind of talking about uh, sequestration with plants and the same thing happens with their um, with their herbivores so yeah and luckily I don't think there are any viruses or pathogens explicitly documented associated with the plant hopper but you know that could always change <laughs> who knows um, but uh, yeah so this is they one seem to be a big enough problem on their own even if they don't vector other uh, disease yeah and this is another one here. So yeah, these are just the nymphs. Um, but uh, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if the adults would feed on them, even if it's only incidentally as well. I just want to throw out there for anybody who is, uh, likes to make the separation. I personally put cannabis and hemp in the same category. And as far as IPM is concerned, if something feeds on hemp, I'm just going to go ahead and assume it's going to feed on cannabis. But Matthew, maybe you could. I absolutely agree with that. I totally agree with that. The, the difference, it, well, it's because I even use this sort of, um, and people should use this way to like sort of assess whether something might feed on another thing. If the thing it's feeding on is like a close relative, then it's that much more likely, but not always, if it's, especially if the pest is a generalist. Um, like the hop aphid, for example, I, I was like, well, that will probably feed on cannabis as well if it gets over. Well, interestingly, I don't think there are any, I don't think there, I think that like uh, Whitney Crenshaw of Colorado, um, he's an entomologist who's been working with cannabis pests and specifically in hemp in Colorado. Um, but I think he was talking about how they actually haven't been able to find the hop aphid to go after it, even though hops and cannabis are the closest related species in the... Um, Rosales? No, no, in the Cannabaceae. Cannabaceae, yeah. Rosalis is another one in the thing. I was, but um, thinking of that, is how different is the hop aphid from the cannabis aphid? Um, it's like it's hard to say because there's not a lot of research on the cannabis aphid in particular, despite us knowing it for like 200 plus years, uh, and we've been growing cannabis for a very long time um, as humans, right? So, but it's pretty close because um so they're both in the same gen- genus for the forodon there's forodon humuli which is what you're referring to the damson hot aphid and then there's forodon cannabis the cannabis aphid so the cannabis aphid as far as we understand is a specialist on cannabis only and forodon and the and forodon humuli the damson hop aphid actually feeds on hops but it also has an alternate um lifestyle on stone fruit, particularly of the prunus species. So your nectarines, your plums, that kind of a thing. 
And um, that's interesting to me a lot because uh, aphids, there are tons of different aphid species out there and they generally, there are a couple of different like theories about their coevolution with plants. And it's kind of like the two main camps are that they tend to like evolve, they co-evolve with their plant host. So it's surprising to me that um, one of those two species, and there's other species in Forodon, by the way, and some of them are even possibly not species because we haven't found them since like they were first documented and it was back before we did like genetic analyses and morphological traits for even then kind of hard to be sure about. But the Damson hop aphid uh, has a this sort of alternating lifestyle and the cannabis aphid doesn't, it's kind of weird. And if we look at cannabis's sort of ecology as far as, as well as we know it from like maybe 19 million years ago when we think it speciated from a common ancestor with hops to like now and all of the things that have happened in that time, you know, it's just kind of interesting to me because we think that cannabis originated in the Eurasian continent and possibly there's some research that thinks that it was in like what's now like central China um, in like the Qinghai area, like around the Tibetan plateau. It, it might have not been exactly there, but like somewhere in that area, the vicinity. And uh, this is also the origination point for the spot lanternfly for that matter. Um, so, but like hops, for example, Humulus genus, it's actually expanded out a lot uh, in some ways more than cannabis as far as we've been able to tell. So can, Is that in part at all to human breeding, like uh, people making beer or growing and cultivating hops? Well, that definitely played a part, but even before that, um, I, I think there's more evidence for humulus crossing into like the North American continents pre-humans than there is for cannabis. I think there's some sub-fossil sub pollen uh, remains that might be cannabis, but the thing is, is that because cannabis and humulus are so similar, um, you know, it's very hard to tell the difference between their pollen even. Um, I want to take a second and just say uh, peace out to R Brandon Rust. He just uh, had to get going because like I mentioned at the top of the show, he uh, owns Bokashi Earthworks and he's some orders and he's got a commercial facility that he's running uh, during the week. So uh, Brandon Rust, you can find him on Instagram at Brandon Rust or at Bokashi Earthworks. He's a great dude, uh, very generous with his time and his knowledge. And uh, thank you again, Brandon, for joining us this week. Uh, Matthew, your point with the um, Forodon cannabis versus Forodon humuli uh, reminds me of Chefo MJ just sent us a video in the um, panel little chat, the cheap home grow chat we have. And I'm always like proud of myself a little bit whenever you agree with my past identification because I was like, uh, he was thinking it was like a spider mite or something else. And I was like, it either looks like a, a predator to me, it's moving a little bit too fast. And I'm thinking like it's Kukumaris esque. And then he said he thinks it might be cucumerous or you, you said you agree. And I was like, yes, you know, if I'm like identifying shit the same as you are, I'm doing a pretty good job. And uh, then he sent me something saying it might be cucumerous or Californicus. And those are both uh, Neocilius family, which I learned today. So they're related. So it makes sense that they actually look uh, fairly similar. Californicus, in my experience, are usually more red, but I've found photos of them where they're not. So could be both. Yeah, they're, they're, um, they're very small and the food that they eat can definitely influence or what they're not eating, even if they're not eating plus rather than eating, definitely influences their color. Um, it's Neocilius is the genus, not the family, not to be pedantic, but um, for anyone who's yeah. trying to look more into them, I just want to make that small correction. But it's I, also important, say, I loved the interaction that I saw there because one, those soil predatory mites are so common. People ask me about them 
more than any other organism. And no pest gets as much attention as mold mites and soil predatory mites and foliar predatory mites, which is great, partly because they get to learn that it's usually an ally, not an enemy. And then also because it means that they don't, they don't waste their time and mental and physical and emotional and monetary resources um, and temporal resources taking care of this thing that's not a problem. So I really like that you guys had that exchange and yeah, you were totally right on the moment, money. Feels good, man. Uh, Tao, did you have something to say there? It looked like your block was lighting up. Oh no, I was just gonna say it's all right to be pandemic, whatever you said, it's good to have the little bit of a- uh... Pedantic. Yeah, there you go, thank you. Specific with your words, I think is what it means. But it's important in, in science because it's actually the classification. It's like family means something. It doesn't just mean like, oh, there's this family or like my family or like whatever. Like family is a very specific like family, genus, uh, whatever. It breaks down the kingdom, species, yeah. species all that. Yeah. It's, it's the arthropoda and then you've got the, well, you got the pancrist, yeah, right? Yeah, the pancrustacea, then the arthropoda, and then the class insecta, and then you've got... Um, uh, the Akari. So you get, then you have the Arachnomorpha, and then you've got, oh, no, no, no. Well, I was going to the insects, class Insecta. I was, you were talking about mites, though. But yeah, it, it quickly becomes uh, arcane. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, gotta love some of the difficulty with pronouncing some of these words, but uh, we try our best, that's for sure. Let's see. I got a message from Medfit. How you doing over there, Medfit? Your battery died. Oh, shit. We lost Medfit. <laughs> <laughs> our guest our honorable guest his battery died uh he's getting his charger so hopefully he'll be back before we do our final shout outs i'd imagine that he will with modern technology his charger should be able to get him going within the next uh, 27 minutes here spartan grown i know you're going to be here for maybe another 10 or 15 minutes or so before you give your final shout out that's uh maybe a new to me at least spong it looks like you've got one of those uh mouth pieces from moose labs on there is that what i'm seeing up top yeah it is okay yeah, I've been I've been telling everybody about these. I love these things. Uh, so it's just a little mouthpiece. I don't know if I've gone through with you guys or not. It's a little rubber mouthpiece. You've actually talked about this before, so it turned me on to it. It's got a little paper filter on the inside. It's actually a carbon filter. They look like this. Oh, new. neat. Very neat. It's like supposed and, to prevent uh, cup cough. So there's actually uh, like a link, like lanyards clip on. This clips onto like a thing that goes around your neck, so you could carry it around to events or whatever. Put it in each piece that way you're not hitting the same thing everybody else has another thing is i put joints in here and it could act kind of like a roach clip that's pretty cool you can you can even put it through a, a joint um, just to give you an idea <laughs> so um, when they start looking like this kind of dark at the beginning this is a, a brand new one and then take it out and flip it over and look at that this was through a bong and it's still got that fucking dirty and it was like 24 hours but it was two nights of smoking for me in this bong and two nights it got that dark it so, doesn't filter out the taste though that's what a charcoal filter seems like it would do. no no okay good good and uh everything seems to say i was the most surprised that it didn't even affect the draw i was expecting it to be harder to draw with that but i don't even i don't not it's not noticeable to me i'll just put it that way maybe it affects the draw slightly but i don't notice it some people have said it makes the draw easier for them. Uh, if their mouth doesn't form a great seal, that it's a little bit easier on your mouth. To, yeah. uh, some women I've talked to that have used it personally like it for getting a little easier draw off of their pieces or getting a better seal. So it's definitely a cool thing. I think uh, Moose Labs is the company who makes it, but there's probably imitations out there now. Um, the mouth piece, like P-E. 
a c e like peace on earth man <laughs> yeah spelled a little bit different yeah it's made by moose labs but i was so surprised that it got that filthy in two days when i'm filtering through water you know what do you think about those chillums or whatever the like or, or at the very least like cooling the mouthpieces and or like smoke. So this bong has a pinch so i can i fill it up with ice and i love it so this, this whole thing can be filled with ice and it, it'll just cool off the uh for one, the ice cools off the smoke coming through it, and also it kind of melts and cools the bong water, too. So if that mouthpiece gets that dirty, is that something maybe that you would use, like, um, at least for me, I wouldn't want to have to buy those filters all the time, so maybe I'd use it at, like, cups or at events, and then at home, maybe I'd just Dude, go without it? I went, I bought a sleeve of these at the, at the uh, bong shop, I guess I'll call it, 10 for $8. It's not That's even not bad at all. I'll go buy filters. It's not a big deal. Yeah, if it's cheap, then whatever does it feel like your lungs feel a little better i mean considering yeah there's a lot of cook i just got them i mean i just had i mean i maybe spent a couple weeks with it so i mean i haven't noticed a huge difference in my lungs but uh, i've been smoking pretty hard lately too i love all the like stoner tech i just got my wife a puffco for her birthday and i know everyone shits on them the atomizers break whatever i'll fucking buy a new atomizer every week if it means not lighting a torch ever again house because i don't want to light my cats on fire on accident <laughs> uh, and even like an email they i have two cats that are kind of young and crazy so if i had an email that was just hot they can like run into the cord and yank it onto the ground and then break the bong catch it on fire it's just like a. there's other options too like the uh, i looked at the dr dabber switch which is a little bit bigger uh, not as portable uh, gets really good reviews though and then there's also the focus v carta but the temperatures were all so much higher and the temp ranges on that. So um, I'm just glad though, that there's more companies coming out, like making technology, whether it's a little silicone mouthpiece, like uh, you've got over there. I've got a little silicone cover from a Colorado company. Um, I can't even think of the name because I hated the product so much that you used to clean it with is resolution Colorado. They make this like gel. It's like solution 420, but it's like a gel. And they also make like a silicone cap that you'd put basically like how you see Spartan's bong. It's got a little green silicone thing on the top. Imagine that, but like snugged over the top. And then you have one that goes over your bowl piece and you can shake it up with alcohol and salt and dump that out. Cause personally their solution, like it's really soapy and you have to rinse it a bunch of times, but uh, I definitely recommend the caps for anybody who has glassware and wants to clean it. Cause it makes, if you have a sealed piece, it's a lot easier to not like spill dirty bong water alcohol on yourself, which does not smell pleasant. Anybody uh, tips for cleaning glassware or anything that they like? Like um, I hear like DC glass cleaner or solution 420, solution 710, things like that. Um, I just use alcohol and salts, but I'm sure all those other cleaners are better. I just, I'm just a simple kind of guy and I just go for the, if I can go to the store, that's the biggest thing for me. If I can walk into a store and buy it, that's what I want to do. I don't want to have to go special place, shit online. I don't want to do any of that. On that note, yeah, I saw I'll someone use Dawn, like extra, like 4X grease fighting dish soap. And I was like surprised that they just one washed it, let it soak for a little bit, shook it up with some hot water and dumped it out. And it got like dab. It was their dab rig, even like that really hard, like chunked on there stuff. And it came off. So sorry, yeah, Tal, I cut you off. Chemistry, that, that's why you make the big bucks, because you make this one thing that like will be instrumental and like is great because it's inert or it's not reactive at all or it's super reactive or whatever right but um for me I like uh this isn't quite about glassware but I do want to say that for people who are using 
um, atomizers, um, be careful. Uh, certain models are held together with um, materials and glues and um, other sorts of things that maybe don't have the greatest level of care or quality control associated with them. And I would hate for somebody to uh, have a problem there. I have a direct example of the one that you don't want to buy for flower vaporizing. I love Vapor Brothers. They make the Vapor Brothers VB1. They have since 1991. It looks like a pencil sharpener, like a little box on your desk with a whip that comes off of it. There are a lot of imitations from 50 to 100 bucks. Some of them even have a little digital readout that says, oh, this is your temperature. It's one, it's not accurate. Two, exactly what Matthew just said. That company, Vapor Brothers, bought all their competitors and tested their products. And they found a bunch of them. Almost every single one has horrible chemicals and resins and literally poisons that once you heat it up and you start inhaling off of it, you're going to be getting nasty ass shit. So sometimes it's not worth saving the few bucks and getting the off brand, like going with the one that actually makes it with a good clean product is a, it's your medical device. It's worth investing a few extra bucks to get the safe one. Yeah, this is not an official endorsement or anything, but I use a, um, a paranormal DNA 250C is what it says on here in the chassis. And it's got a titanium bucket um, and has a, it does have a ceramic heater or heating element, but it's separate. And you can separate the bucket from the device from the mouthpiece and you can, you know, soak it in, uh, you know, powerful alcohol or something like this, which is what I do because I have access to it. But also I have a friend who uses um, a sonic cleaner, uh, yeah, a jewelry cleaner, a sonic jewelry cleaner. Yeah. And yeah, has anyone had good, good situations with that? Because he has had amazing results, he says. I've seen someone use it. They have one that's like, um, it was for, they worked in a dental field, but it's like sonic and they just put like their bong in there and it like shoots stuff up in there. And it's, I think it's just water, but it's sonic something and it comes out crystal clear every time. So I'm working, I haven't looked into it too much. Uh, Tao, do you have any more information on that? It sounds like. Not on that one, but I, I, I was, I didn't even get one yet, but I was planning on, but I was gonna, what I was going to say earlier is if you, I use glass and alcohol is the, is my uh, go-to, but you, you want to make sure you get, you don't get the 50% alcohol. And I have had some nasty ass pieces and if you soak them overnight, they still didn't, you know, get totally clean. Just keep soaking them and rinsing them out really hot water. It'll get anything looking like brand new. I mean, you can get this back to new. Yeah. You can even boil some pieces if you just want to sacrifice like a shitty cheap pan, like yeah, boiling yeah. it in hot water will get a lot of that stuck stuff out. I squirreled a little bit. I had a thought that I wanted to bring up and then I totally lost it. Uh, Spartan, it looks like you had something you want to say. Yeah, I was just going to jump out of here real quick so that I could use the bathroom. So uh, I'll just sign off now, I guess. <laughs> For sure, brother. just want to shout out to everybody on the panel. Um, you know, I, I love coming in. I love doing this. So uh, awesome hanging with you guys. And awesome uh, in chat, talking to chat as usual. And uh, always love to everybody. Thank you again, Spartan Grown. You can find him on Instagram. <clears throat> at Spartan Grown. Uh, the Michigan Bros Grow Show comes on in about 20 minutes, so you'll be able to find him there. And uh, many other shows, GML show on Friday, and uh, he does shows with uh, people over in the UK and all over the world. So uh, find him all over the YouTube cannabis content space, future uh, cannabis project as well. Yep, all, all over. All right, guys, thanks, thanks a lot. I'm out of here. Oh, yeah, I think we're having, uh, I should probably say that, uh, I think we're having Will on 
the show tonight. So uh, we're talking old school TGA. He's kind of taken over after Sub Cool. So we're going to kind of see where that's headed. The dank, because uh, yeah. TGA is Miss Jill, and she will yeah, actually fucking send cease and desist letters to people that use TGA. So some cool seeds or whatever that was called, the dank. Yeah, I think it was the dank. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but yeah, I'm excited to see Will, and uh, I think Miss V, Queen V Meds uh, will maybe join him. But if not, uh, look forward to seeing you there later, Spartan Ground. Thank you for joining us. Where love, Where love, man. Doc, do you have any uh, tips for cleaning your glassware? or uh, smoking devices or vaporizers in general? Crap, man, no, I mean, that's why I come to you guys. Um, I usually use ISO, to be perfectly honest with you. Sometimes some Epsom salts and like a bong or something, but now, I mean, I get into my, my little handhelds with like a paper clip and hot water, a little bit of ISO. I'll no. say this, um, pipe cleaners, you know, those like actual fuzzy yeah, things with a little piece of metal. Cleaners. Those actually work well for cleaning pipes. Like when I was a kid, I was always like, why are these called pipe cleaners? Imagine like that. any pipe, like a water pipe, you would think like a, as a kid, like a plumber lays pipe for like water to go through, but it's actually for like smoking pipes. So I didn't find that out until like a few months ago when I saw them like being used to clean tobacco pipes and shit. Yeah, they are. I mean, you ruin them when you use pipe cleaners to clean your, your cannabis pipes, but I, I have pipe cleaners and um, I, will get in there with some of like the larger pipes that it's tough to get like uh, anything else down into. Um, you need the pipe cleaners to be kind of rigid though. Um, if, if you're kind of like scraping off inside, you know, the head of a glass pipe around the bowl or whatever, they can't be like too flimsy. Um, so there's a nice sort of, I'd, I'd rather have a paper clip usually for it in, that, in those spaces. I can't imagine paperclip was the answer you were looking for, though, there, Jack. No, hey, it's uh, home grow. Anything that's uh, available locally is usually the best option in my book. Uh, if, if it's something simple that you have on hand, that's all the better than going out and getting something fancy. If it's effective, then that works. Yeah, but just on the, pa on the pipe cleaner things, there are good sort of pipe cleaners online, but make sure that you're getting, like, rigid ones because a lot of them now are sold for arts and crafts projects, and they're really kind of wimpy you, you want one that's actually made for cleaning pipes totally agree with that it is it does seem to be like pipe cleaner became a general term for like wire with fuzz and not like something that can really yeah like, excoriate and, you know like another really thing there. yeah i think the main market for them i mean i think the arts and crafts market for these things is probably a hundred times the the pipe pipes with the market i completely um, agree yeah, so that's what they're sort of being designed for and everything else now. Damn elementary school art projects, fucking everything up for the smokers out there. I'm just kidding. Uh, it is definitely interesting that that terminology still exists because it's like so rarely that they're used to clean uh, a pipe. So uh, interesting. I, I've actually seen them used to train plants. They're actually not bad at that. You can tie it around the bottom of your pot and use it for like low stress training like you would a uh, twisty tie or something like that. Yeah, we are still on the like speaker view or something on the YouTube. I don't know if that's a problem for anybody, but we're usually on a different view on YouTube. I'll go back to Brady Bunch style, aka uh, gallery view. Or you know what, uh, Matthew is the host, I think. So you might have to click it, Matthew, at the top right. Oh yeah, let me see here. How how do you want me to change it? 
It says speaker view or gallery view, and I think we should go to gallery view because uh, people like seeing all of our logos, even if we're not talking, I think. Oh, okay, let's see here. Oh, and uh, I'm also the reason why Medically Fit wasn't um, able to join. Chat. He's like, hey, uh, Jack, it says waiting to join. And I was like, I don't see a waiting to join, man. Like I resent him the link and everything. I was like, maybe he went to the wrong meeting. How long has that been? I feel so guilty. Oh, no, it's fine. It's just a minute or two. What's up, man? You're muted. Yeah, just, you know, trying to get back on. You made it before shout out. So you mission accomplished. I got a quick question for Medfit. So where yeah. did they learn of Redox first? Was it in humans, plants, or in a vitro dish? Yeah, Probably in like a, in a flask sometime a long time ago. You know, honestly, I don't know, Tao. Like, I don't know where they found it first or if oh. it was a human or if it was in a plant. I stubbed, snubbed them. Stumped the med. I get the, I'll get the Google out. Thanks, man. Thanks for sharing all you do, man. I love you, dude. I loved, your, I loved your episode. Everyone should watch the fucking talking shit with Eagle 202 episode with Medically Fit and um, Smiley's Garden, who was in the chat with us. Yes. Yeah, he was repping some Redox get, knowledge. Yeah, we didn't get to talk about it a whole lot because Redox goes into these oxygenated uh, species, which really affect every part of the plant uh, from the salicylic, jasmonic, and ethylene pathways to seed germination to plant uh, oxen uh, signaling. Just, it goes so deep. So. They can be very anti-herbivore, um, but uh, believe it or not, there's even some insects have enzymes like catalases that I think break down peroxide. And so um, they can have like an anti-ROS defense even. So they've even wow. evolved countermeasures, believe it or not. You're telling me my H2O2 wash might not be effective for all pests? Damn it. I think it's in the small quantities that they feed uh, on plants with. But um, yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah, not. I heard someone talking about fusarium like blowing up after they hit it with hydrogen peroxide. To, oh, that's interesting. That. Yeah. I believe that if you wipe out the good stuff or even yeah, like perhaps. the average population then the bad stuff that's sticking around can multiply and conquer yeah definitely I yeah that makes sense yeah that's the issue with some hospitals not to like equate plants to humans but when they're like completely sterile and then you get these people um they get exposed to Super any box. little thing yeah. yeah and it gets really bad like MRSA I think was formed in a hospital like a medicinally resistant staph infection or something like that no good that's uh definitely not fun stuff we have a sh sh small panel tonight so we still have a few minutes before the sign out i am uh definitely tired had a long day over here today uh working but i hope everybody is doing well through these tough times i uh, know it can be difficult for a lot of people um and i just hope that everybody's staying safe and able to work if you want to and are able to and um just shout out to everybody on the panel for making it because i know during these times every single minute is valuable and uh you could be using these hours to go out and work or spend time with your family and loved ones. So I really appreciate you and the people in the chat and everyone listening uh, here together and kind of coming together as a liberal community. Uh, yeah, I wanted to else. say something sort of, I had thought about saying something sort of like that before the show today, Jack, just to, you know, we've been, we're going through an interesting time um, as a country for a lot of different things. And we're heading into a really contentious time um, 
And, you know, there's a lot of division, a lot of other things. So it's nice to be able to have someplace, a community, and really sort of embrace shared values and, and think about our common love of sort of growing cannabis and, and get away from some of sort of the, the, the toxic energy that can be swirling around sort of any election season at this time and, and with the pandemic and all the rest of that makes it worse. So I, I encourage everybody, I've been trying to, to keep everything that, that we're doing at Cocoa for Cannabis sort of friendly um, and, and, you know, have a space where we can have good community throughout some other stressors that are going on in our lives. So I appreciate you guys creating this space and I appreciate, uh, you know, everybody showing up here to talk cannabis every week. The, um, that sentiment, I agree with that totally. Um, I definitely feel a catharsis when it comes to being able to interact with people in the way that we do, especially the regulars. Um, e, just the letter E apparently, uh, Smot Poker, Mr. Bag Seed, Purple Thumb OG, um, Ian. I'm seeing all these people, Ant Grows, uh, who I've all seen in the chat already. Sir L. Howe. Yeah, it's just really oh. cool to have this sort of extended community. I noticed the question that would be for Coco for Cannabis uh, about the lighting. Did you see that? I don't know if I could go back far enough. I'll uh, ask a quite a few questions action. that we were getting into about lighting. I'm not sure. That's true. <laughs> Anybody oh, have a fun asking... Halloween costume for this year? Sorry, Tal. No, you no could worries. Ask a more serious one. No, I got to find it now. He was asking about two different lights. Which ones would you get? And now I can't go back far enough. I so think we probably covered that in the chat. Um, okay, I okay. sort of begged out of the, the conversation after a while because <laughs> I didn't want to argue. But yeah, um, lights. <laughs> I got some new videos coming out on lights. I've got one coming out this week. I have a couple more coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um, cool fixtures. So I will, I will talk about that. Do you have the numbers on the array yet? It's uh, performance numbers. Um, you know, he's sending me a new model. So I got one of the models, you know, he's offering several different um, runs and we want to, I want to test out this other model and sort of compare data and everything before I run. But yeah, I mean, my numbers are coming in very similar to the numbers that he's published for the, the fixtures. I, there's no sort of, um, earth-shattering revelations. We're, we're looking at a couple of really minor sort of discrepancies and he decided he wanted to go ahead and do like another comparison with the, the Samsung white model. So that should be showing up this week and I will test that and then I'll be able to release it. But um, uh, yeah, we're getting above 2.2 uh, um, from a four by two fixture. Um, it gives a really good spread of light and uh, you know, only draws uh, what I had it at 240, I think, um, or 224. Ah, I have too many numbers bouncing around in my head. Ah, here's the report. Um, I think it's a. I think it's probably going to be one of the most efficient uh, four by two fixtures that you can get that sort of fully lights up the the four by two space. Um, power draw was 237. So it's fully lighting eight square feet with only 237 watts, which is sort of the main appeal. A lot of people ask me to try to compare this to some other fixtures like the, the Mars SP3000. The Mars SP3000 is also an awesome four by two light, but it, it draws closer to 300 watts. So one of the main advantages for running the array um, isn't that it's a lot more light, it's a little bit less light, but they're both sort of fully lighting up that space. 
Um, but it's the power savings. You're running really considerably less energy through the system like that. So it gets tough to, to really figure out, you know, simple recommendations on some of these. And I'm trying to do reports that give, you know, growers enough information about the different pros and cons of these fixtures that they can make those kinds of decisions for themselves. I think that there are legitimate reasons to choose like either of those two fixtures, for example. I think that you're doing a great job making that information uh, simple enough to understand, but very uh, effective and usable for the grower, which I appreciate very much. We just hit 555 uh, Pacific time on the West Coast. I just wanted to say that we're about to go into the wrap ups. So I want to offer up, oh, you can't really see it too well. This is going to be my either Halloween or hash bash costume. It's the zigzag man, the rolling papers. I've been told I just got my beard cut, so I don't look as much like him right now. I've been told I look like the uh, zigzag rolling papers mascot. So that'll probably be my uh, costume for Halloween. And you've uh, got to come up with a prize to give anybody that gets that right. Like a pack of rolling papers, if they're able to predict that they guess that that's your costume. I will probably be carrying several packs and uh, maybe some other things. Uh, I definitely look forward to debuting that at the hash bash in Michigan next year. I'm doing everything within my power to go to. It's the first Saturday in April. It's been on my bucket list for years and years. It's like a free to enter uh, cannabis event. It's been going on there for, I want to say like 30 or 40 years, long before it was ever legal in Michigan. They have a outstanding history of hash making and great cannabis growing. Uh, being from Ohio, that was where most of our good import came from. So Shout out to Michigan and uh, the Michigan Bros Grow Show, which is about to come on. So I'm going to go through the panel and make sure we can all get our sign-offs in before they go live. So Matthew Gates, you can start. Yeah, I really enjoyed the episode. This session was really pretty cool. Good to see you medically fit. I'm glad that you were able to come on. Um, again, I'm Matthew Gates, Integrated Pest Management Specialist. I just dropped a video about, um, well, it's an FAQ video about various questions people ask me about IPM. You can also find um, a lot of other content on YouTube channel Zenthanol, specifically that video, the same one I'm commenting in the chat with. And you can also find me at Sync Angel on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us, Matthew. Appreciate your time and information as always. Next up, Dr. MJ. Hey guys, yeah, thanks to Medically Fit. It was nice to, to have you on and, and hear about some of that. Um, I, you know, thanks to Jack for hosting. I'm Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. Um, we talked a little bit about the grow challenges and we are signing up for the New Year's grow challenge. Um, I'm getting really cool prizes lined up for that. It's going to be our best grow challenge ever. So start getting your grow calendars lined up to be able to grow along with us starting on January 1st. Um, like I said, I've got a bunch of tests coming out, the FC3000, the Migro Array, and the Grower's Choice ROI E720 all in the next couple of weeks. Um, I have new videos out on that. Um, I wanted to shout out a new podcast that I did too. I went on the Cantor podcast, um, uh, a couple of guys out of Australia, and it was a lot of fun. So um, check out the, the Cantor podcast, C-A-N-N-T-E-R. Um, yeah, and it was a, a lot of fun. Thanks to everybody in the chat, the panel, Jack, Shane, and Grower Love. Yeah, shout out to Shane. He was actually in the chat. Um, that wasn't me typing from the cheap home grower there. That was Shane. Uh, Cantor, I like that name. It's like banter, but cannabis, C-A-N-N, -N, uh, implying the cannabis. Cantor. Oh, well, I thought that was you, Jack. I would have said hello. No, it wasn't. It was uh, actually Shane. So shout out to Shane. He was here at the midway point in the show, at least. And uh, shout out to the boys down under, uh, Cantor and, and Dr. MJ. Thank you again for joining us. Um, our final panelist, before I pass it over to MedFit, the American one. 
Yeah, this was great. I, I'm glad Nedford made it back. And I uh, always love, love talking all things cannabis. And um, I just want to mention that uh, Canna Queen is going to premiere a show tonight. Uh, it's starting up with Michigan Bro Show. But if you snap over there for a minute and say hello and give a thumbs up, I'm, I would appreciate it too. And uh, shout out to everyone in chat. It's great that you guys show up, have great questions. And I'm looking forward to next week. Thanks again for joining us and shout out to Canna Queen as well. She used to be on uh, when myself, Kyle Breeder, uh, Adam from 2020 Mendocino and a few other breeders would do the Breeders Collective. We're going to change the name because there's another Breeders Collective on YouTube and all of our shows have been deleted. So whenever that starts back up, we'll have a different name. But shout out to Canna Queen. Shout out to the Michigan Bros Grow Show. Last but certainly not least, shout out to Medically Fit. Thanks for joining us. Do you want to give you a sign out? Hey, you guys, thanks for having me on the show. You know, didn't really get to discuss too much about our going into the ROS uh, signaling of plants, but we can do that at another time. Uh, but you guys can find me on YouTube. There's a little bit of information there. Go check out fucking talking shit with Eagle on Eagle Gardens channel on YouTube. Uh, we did a lot of conversation there last night. So uh, also, you can follow me on Instagram, Medically Fit. You guys. Have a great night. Thanks again for joining us, Med. Keeping it short and sweet. Uh, really appreciate you coming and, and giving your plug there for people to find you. Med's got a great YouTube channel with uh, 17, almost 18,000 subscribers. So you can go and help push him over to that 18,000 subscriber mark over there. Make sure you follow him on Instagram. Great guy. Shares tons of awesome information, not with just me, but with many, many other people on Instagram. Uh, Lots of research papers, stuff that's sometimes even over my own head, which I think is great because as growers, we all have room to learn. If you haven't noticed already, I am Jack Greenstock, as you can see behind me. I'm on Instagram as well as Cannabuzz under that name. You can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore Greenstock. I do a podcast, Greenstock Talks, which I said I'm not going to be doing until I finish my book, but I got really fucking fired up and did a Blue Dream uh, episode the other day that I did like half of it. So I got to go back and finish and uh, do some editing, but uh, Greenstock Talks will be a thing and I've got some books coming down the line, but Mainly, shout out to Shane of the Cheap Home Grow podcast. Uh, he's the one who runs, owns the YouTube channel and uh, initially produced all these shows. And he's having people like myself host uh, certain shows at this point. So shout out to Shane. Much love to you, brother. I hope you're doing well. And uh, peace and love, everybody. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. This is Jack Greenstock signing off. Grow with love. I can't sign off. Matthew, you're the host. You, you got to kill the live. <laughs> I can do it. So at the bottom, you just uh, go ahead and hit on. stop live. You can do it. This is where we'll pretend that we thought we were off live and said, oh, man, wasn't the chat amazing tonight? Right. Those are the exactly. American ones I did. Yeah.